Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your instigator in saying fuck being fine. This show is for those of you who are done living with the dumpster fire and are ready to find the tools and courage to transform, to step into more success and fulfillment in both your personal and business life. You're in the right place for stories of self-discovery, gratitude, and connection. And to help you strengthen that connection to your own inner guidance, you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. In this episode, you get to hear our first interview with a guy and his story of being stuck at fine. Brian Merrill's account is very different from the stories you've heard in past episodes, and also very similar. We're talking about why he didn't leave an abusive marriage, why, when he finally did leave, he still put up with abuse from others in his life, and how he finally made the decision to hold himself to a higher standard. Brian Merrill spent most of his professional life in sales. He hosts the podcast Tattooed in Business. He's a former bar owner, an army veteran, and a former combat medic. A single father, Brian's daughter didn't speak to him or see him for six years. In 2019, he buried eight of his closest family members and friends and struggled to find a way to pull himself out of that darkness. By working with counselors and a coach, he learned how to open up and tell his story so others could learn from it and to rediscover success through his failures. Shout out to Success Champion Networking, which is where Brian and I met. It's a network of get shit done business leaders looking to scale and grow their businesses. Listen, we have just passed 5,000 total downloads of Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Help me reach the next milestone of 7,500. If you enjoy this show, please tell three other people about it. The more listeners, the more publicity. And that means these stories can get in front of more people who can benefit from hearing them so they can know they're not alone and there's nothing wrong with them. It's about building connection and community. We need that now more than ever. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is really special because this is the first interview with a guy. I told y'all that in season two, I was going to be talking to some men and we get it getting to hear their stories as well. So Brian Merrill, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. I, I feel like pretty honored. I guess I'm the first guy. So I'm your first yes. guy. <laughs> you should be honored. And you know why we were talking about before I hit record was because Brian's been listening to the show for a while and he was actually the first one to, to come and ask me like, hey, I want to be on your show. And I said, no, I'm only talking to women. And then uh, after a while... He was persistent, maybe. No, I don't know what it was. That I, I decided, you know, because other ones came to me too. And I'm like, well, maybe we're missing out if we don't get stories from guys. And uh, so that's when I started saying, all right, in season two, in season two, in season two. And here go. we are in season two. So, um, yeah. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Let's jump right in with the first question. What were the, what were the beliefs and values that you were raised with? 
Oh, wow. All right. So I grew up on a small dairy farm in upstate New York, um, single mom. So my parents divorced. Uh, it's funny. It's like I, I've gone back and forth with counselors and I realized that I have no memories before nine years old of them being together. So I can't even remember what it was like with my parents together. So I pretty much grew up in a single household, single female household. My mom worked, um, obviously. My grandmother lived right next door, so the farm was right there. And so I spent a lot of time with my grandmother when I was younger. Um, and then I have an older brother, and then I have a, a younger brother who's 14 years younger than me. But a real small town, upstate New York. So what were the values and beliefs that were instilled in you as you were growing up? Growing up on the farm, obviously. So I didn't have to work on the farm, so it's not like I had to do it. But my cousin, who his... his um, father was partners in the farm, he did. So we're same age. So I naturally gravitated where I, I worked on the farm. I loved working on the farm. Um, it, so I learned basically at a real young age, you know, what a dollar meant. Um, I was always lucky because I was able to buy my own, like I wanted my Air Jordan. So I'd save up my money and I'd buy, you know, the stuff I wanted. Um, but I, I liked working on it. My grandfather, a uh, very quiet man, but like he was one of those, you know, the the stereotypical, uh, didn't really like ever express his emotion, but you always knew he loved and cared about you. And being around him and my grandmother and seeing my mom's work ethic, I mean, I just, I, I always felt I had a great life growing up. Like we were poor, but I, I guess I didn't know. Okay. And then, so then as you were growing up, what, how did those, those beliefs and, um, how did those beliefs like play into who you became as an adult? Yeah, so like most kids, you know, I was a I was a bad kid. You know, I, I party a <laughs> lot. Wait, 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 wait. We Not all, as all most kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't throw yeah. me into that fire. <laughs> so, I wasn't a bad kid. Yeah. So I, I rebelled like every everybody else, you know, at some point. Like I, I didn't like I didn't. My mom married. Uh, she was married three times. Um, second guy I absolutely loved. He was a great guy, treated us great, just really respectful to women in general, to us being, you know, my mom's kids. My mom's, she just wasn't in love with them, which I respect the hell out of her for being able to walk away from that. Um, and so my third uh, stepfather, my third father there, he um, totally different. He was very male chauvinistic, very like uh, intimidating type guy and I I guess I always felt like he bullied my mom and he bullied us um, and he didn't like beat us or anything like that but like verbally and mm -hmm. so it really kind of shaped I always used to say that I'm not going to be this way I don't want to be this way and um, you know I got into some trouble when I was in school so I was one of those kids who had to make a choice that you either join the military or you know you better or you take your chances. So I wound yeah. up leaving and joining in the, in the military right out of high school. And when I came back home, it was just, um, I just, I, I was one of these people, I, I guess I hate saying I live to work, but I have that mentality where that's where I kind of focus on. And I try and I, and just like my mom, my mom didn't focus a lot on herself and her needs. And she kind of went through the motions I always felt like. And, and I think I found very young that, uh, in young adulthood that um, I probably did too. If it was, I, I stayed like in the easy lane, so to say. Well, when you say easy lane, well, so wait, so she lived to 
support her children. And then you took on that same role of living to support your yeah. family. So, yeah. So I, I met my, I met my, uh, my ex-wife right when I came home for leave on the army when I was 19. A uh, friend of us introduced us. Uh, we obviously at one point were in love, you know what I mean? And, and um, we wound up, I wound up not going back full time and going in the reserves and making a life and everything. But um, we had two kids before we got married. Uh, so we, we did everything backwards, right? So we had two kids before Wait, we got married. did you buy married. a house before you got married too? No, when I, when I actually bought my first house, we were married. Okay. All <laughs> we right. were, we running. Cause we I running. did that. We, <laughs> yeah. my, my, my husband and I had bought our, we bought our house first and then got married several years later. So yeah, it was like we did everything's out of order, but it didn't matter. Right. No. Yeah. So yeah. So actually uh, we, when my, when my son was born, we got married three months later and it was one of those things where like, um, I guess like came home one night, she was upset and I'm like, what's the matter? And she's like, I guess it's not a big deal if we're not married. You're not going to leave. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, if, the, if that's what will make you happy, yeah, I'm fine with it. Like, and at that time, we, 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 we were in love and, you know, had the kids and stuff. But as time grew on, I mean, when we bought our, so I built a house and then we bought our second house. When we bought our second house, my, my kids, it was in 2007. And we slept on different floors. I mean, we just, we were, yeah. we worked separate shifts. I mean, I tell people you'd be amazed at how much you can put up with when you don't, when you only have to see each other on the weekends. Yeah. You know, so many people live that way, but they don't admit it. Like, you know, everybody looks great on social media. Oh, Facebook fake. <laughs> yeah. I, I had dinner last night with, um, an acquaintance, somebody I hadn't seen in a very long time. And, um, she's like, Oh yeah. So, so I've, since last time I saw you, you know, she told me about her whole story and I was like, wait, what? And like, but you don't see it on, on, on Facebook or social media or anything because a lot of us don't want, like, we don't want our entire life out there like that. It's not for everybody's consumption. <laughs> exactly. And my, my ex-wife and I, we, and she passed away three years ago. Um, but she, um, we're total opposites. We were truly total opposites, you know. And I can't honestly remember any time being together that we were actually in sync with each other other than with the kids. And I found, like, I was in love with being dad. Mm -hmm. And that's where I, like, if you asked me, who Brian, who is Brian Merrill, I would always say, well, I'm, I'm Tara and Brock's father. You know, I coach their sports. I, I do their this. I do their that. And I, I that was, in my mind, my identity. And, yeah. and I can't speak for my ex-wife, but I maybe she felt that her identity was mom. And that was her only identity. So when we got divorced, you know, I just wound up getting to a point where things were bad we were fighting all the time and I'm just like, this, why are we doing this? You know? And uh -huh. when I, she had, had threatened me that she was going to divorce me for like six, seven months. And then she quit her job. Only six or seven months. Oh, well the whole time she always would throw it in my <laughs> face. I mean, like I always thought like I was a, like this horrible person. I mean, like this whole time, like the whole time in the marriage, like I, I felt like guilt, like, well, I'm going to show you, I'm, I'm not going to be like my dad and I'm going to stick around. Like, all these things, like, I'm not going to, you know, I, I love being dad. You know, my father, I, I, he just, 
you know, he did his own thing. He left, and it's not that he didn't love us or anything like that. He just, we weren't a priority to him. And for me, it was the opposite. My kids were everything to me. They were my priority. And I don't know, it was really kind of crazy. And then when um, I finally said the words to her, look, I've had enough, she actually, it was, uh, she was, she was physical with me. I mean, because she knew, and it's funny because people would look at us and they just assume like, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of a bigger guy, I guess, than some standards. And people would assume that I would be the one that, if anyone would be abusive. And I'm like, no, she, I mean, I'd walk in the house and like, she'd punch me right in the face and I wouldn't even know what was going on. Wow. See, and this is another thing though, that, right. When we talk about assumptions, we assume that everything's great because that's what it looks like. And then we assume that the man is the aggressor and that I've heard many stories this, that similar to yours too, not to like minimize what you went through, but just to share that it's not always the, the man being the one who's abusing and and I can look back at this now because I didn't know any of this until after she passed away three years ago um, we you know I finally seen medical records and she was diagnosed with multiple personalities and really? now and now that I look back at it light bulb I mean like like when these actions were they were often but when these would happen they would be like completely out of the blue and I would always be like clueless to what she was talking about like and I mean, it got to a point where the Thanksgiving, it was Thanksgiving day and it was so stupid. She was a hoarder. Um, so we struggled with that and mm. I lit on a coffee or excuse me, a cookie jar broke. And for some reason she was blaming it on my son and he was little at the time. I mean, maybe 10 years old and she was like going after him to hit him. And I'm like, you don't even know if he did. Like, how do you know? And I and I seen her raise her hand, and I got between them, and I don't know what she hit me in the in my head with, but like I went down. You know, she wow. hit me in the back of the head, and I, that what I was like, okay, we're going to grandma's for Thanksgiving. So she never went to any of the family get-togethers. She didn't want to be around my family at all. And I remember that's when I was sitting there contemplating what was going to happen. I mean, I didn't realize that at this time my head was bleeding. I had no idea. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I don't know what she hit me with or maybe she had a ring on. I don't know. But I remember just talking to my parents and they're like, you need to leave. And I still didn't want to leave because I didn't want to be a failure in my marriage. I didn't want to be a failure as a father. I didn't want I felt like I was failing my kids. And then it took another, well, I finally, we got in a big argument right after Christmas. And I said, look, I met with a lawyer. I'm filing for divorce. And next thing I know, she filed, and that's when the whirlwind of hell completely started. Mm. I mean, that was, not, I mean, she literally told me, I had it on recording, thank God I did when I went to court, and um, and I totally, because it took, you know how it takes like, it takes like eight months to a year to finally get to, you know, your trial for your divorce in New York well, it's State. it's different in different states, yeah. Yeah, they, they want you, I mean, and we'd been to court like already six, seven times, and every time I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? Then I literally went in the court, and I'll never forget it because I got physically sick to my stomach and, and, and started throwing up. She was sitting on the stand, and I was so blindsided. The judge, my, my lawyer had said something to her along the lines of, well, your marriage couldn't have been all that bad. I mean, you had two great kids. I mean, you must have had some good times. 
And then she says, yeah, if you consider being beaten raped daily as a great marriage. And I just lost it. Oh, my gosh. And I was just, I was like, what? Like, I mean, first of all, we we hadn't slept on the same floor since, you know, this is in 2014 in seven years. Okay. Uh-huh. And I can honestly tell you it'd been at least two years. Okay. You know what I mean? And it's, and I'm, I mean, I'm not a cheater. I mean, my, it's just, I don't. I don't know. It just doesn't, I don't know why I never did, but I just didn't. But um, I was physically sick to my stomach and I kept thinking, you don't give a shit if I go to jail. And then I remembered, wait a minute, you recorded this argument you had because it was like really, like she broke through our bedroom door to scream at me. And I happened to hit record on my phone. And in that recording, she says, it doesn't have to be true. I just have to say it, and your life will be ruined the rest of your life. You will be judged. Wow. And I freaking played it. And they, her lawyer went ballistic because I just started playing it. I didn't like, so it got heard no matter what. But I still got investigated. I mean, they have to. They should. And mm-hmm. I just remember, and my daughter, because it didn't speak to me for six years, six years, she, she said, I'm going to live with mom. You're dead to me. And I was devastated. Backing up, I, I'm so, like, what made you hit record on that? Like, that's so. She knew uh, she was being recorded know, like, too. Like, she could see me doing it. She was when she was standing outside the bedroom door, and I put a lock on it, and she's screaming at me. And I'm like, look, I'm not talking to you. I'm not coming out. You're because you could just feel like you're being set up. And then when she sure. like hit the door so hard she broke it, I knew something was about to happen. You know what I mean? Okay. And so I just, so I don't know. So instinct, you just hit record. Yeah, because that's how she was. They, her and her parents, they like record everybody, videotaped everybody. They're always, oh, fight, okay. they're always fighting with somebody. And wow. like, I'm, so yeah, a lot yes. of drama. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> so in my um, episode with Jenny Vaz, we talked about drama and chaos and how she pulled herself. Uh, she got some help. She she was used to living in chaos. and But she didn't want to. She wanted to find a way out of that. And when she finally did and she was living in calm, she said something. She was like, I, I don't know what to do with this. I only know how to live in chaos. I don't know how to live in calm. And so then after you moved, did you move out and – or it was really like so yeah. after it was over really like how when you weren't living together anymore and you could live in calm was that like, yeah so the house was the house was, did you go looking for chaos again i think i think i for up till probably a couple of years ago i think now that i can look back at it um i went to counseling the whole time and mm-hmm. and honestly i probably the last time i was counseling was probably a year and a half ago so i done counseling and I went to a psychiatrist at the towards the end of it where the light bulb finally went off and they they explained it was just time I was finally time to come to grips and then I realized that yeah I was I looked for situations I knew was going to fail you look for situations that are going to have some type of drama to it because you see that as the norm and Mm -hmm. when I look at like I I met this this girl and we were on and off again for three years and she's a great person, but together we're toxic for our behavior. 
mm-hmm. and not that we're mean to each other, but like right. all of a sudden, like I'm drinking every night. I'm out mm-hmm. in like middle of the work week, all this stuff. She didn't think there's anything wrong with it. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is fun. like, these were behaviors that I wasn't doing that I was started doing. And, and and like, and I convinced myself I was in love with her. And I, I, I even asked her to marry me twice. And she told me no twice. And, and I realized that, yeah, we're just basically we're drinking buddies. That's what uh-huh. we are. And yeah. I don't need a drinking buddy. And she doesn't really need me as a drinking buddy. Like, I, we were crutches for each other. Even though it doesn't seem like when we were together, like we're always happy and have a good time, we're still negative for each other and, and, and right. personal growth. And it took a lot yeah. for me to get that. So talk, since you mentioned personal growth, talk about some of the tools. So you said you went to counseling. What are some of the other tools that you've used to pull yourself out of like the situations that are not healthy for you or to help in your in your development and growth. So you, cause I know one of them that you had shared, um, when we had a conversation before about removing yourself from, um, that group of people. Yeah, that, negative influences. Yeah. Negative influences. Yeah. So it's, it's funny is because I knew all these things and you give all these tools, but until you're ready to start doing them and acting on them, it's all, for nothing, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I actually had two guys that are really great friends with, and the one of them I've been friends with since I was in kindergarten. And he's not so much of a, a negative towards me as the second one is. And I realized, like, every time we go out, I'm just being beat down. Every time it's, I mean, they literally would sit there and, I mean, I, I mean I'm not trying to, I mean, I spent eight years in the Army. Uh, you know, I'm not proud of everything I've done but you do things and you mm-hmm. do things because you have to and i was mm-hmm. a combat medic and the one guy always telling me how i'm mentally so weak compared to him and all this crap and then he called me vagina all the time and freaking oh i mean like it was a, to them their wow. their their entertainment was putting me down in front of other people to make themselves feel better and for a mm-hmm. long time, like it go around, and, and, it, and I remember we had two incidents where we had a blow up. Once we were, every uh, Halloween we go out to the eat together for some reason. I don't know how it started, and we went to a place, big steakhouse, and they thought it was funny to try to get the waitress in on it. And she was like, "Oh, she thought it was funny to sit there calling me a freaking vagina the whole time," and I'm wow. sitting there going, "Okay," and then I sat there, and I've never done this before. I gave her a dollar tip on the bill. And I wrote right on there and I said, by the way, you you kept, you played their game of who's the biggest vagina. I said, maybe what you should have asked was, who's the only one with a job and a car that could drive here? Was that the last time you hung out with those guys? No, no. It so, got, so it, slow learner, are you? Yeah, no. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we actually didn't, it, it, because of the big blow up right there, I guess he went and told everybody that because my daughter and everything would come back in my life that... I didn't want anyone to bother me and be around me and stuff. So, like, we went five months. I didn't talk to him, hear from him, nothing. But he told all my friends I didn't want to hear from them either, which I had no clue. And so you weren't hearing from them, and you're yeah. like, ah, so why I am like, I not hearing from my friends? A little bit. I mean, I kind of was like, I'm okay being alone, you know. And I had a lot of things going on. I mean, you know, uh-huh. I mean, my it was just. It was a rough time, and then uh, yeah, yeah. they wind up with he winds up messaging me one day, and I'm like, "Look, I got nothing to say to you. 
like what well, you, you're an asshole to me every time so we finally said to sit down and talk about where now look you find this entertaining and you sit there and you say to me, so I have PTSD and you want to sit there and think it's funny to scream at me and tell me I got to get out of my own head. Do you realize what you're saying to me? Because I could snap and you could no longer exist. Like you, like you, you just beat on me and beat on me and that's not the way to deal with me. And telling me because I don't want to sit there and be called a vagina and put down and called a pussy and all these things in front of people constantly that I need to grow a thicker skin. I'm in sales, dude. I get told to go <laughs> F myself all day long, like all day. So why would I want to come home to this crap? Right, right. You already got out of a marriage where you were being <laughs> Right. Oh, my, my ex-wife, yeah, my ex-wife demasculated me on a daily basis. Right. So now, and now you're getting it from your friends. Yes. Yeah, so and now you get it from your friends. So the one guy, the big guy that everybody would think would be the one that would be the jerk isn't. And so we seem to like come to an understanding and things get really, really good. And of course, just like anything else, it winds up going bad once again. So I actually have not spoken to them. Well, I've spoken to the one guy, uh, uh, probably, yeah, end of September. No contact. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure that's difficult for you. Actually, it hasn't Because these been. are your lifelong friends. No? It okay. actually hasn't been with the one, and that's what surprises me. So my one friend and I, there was a, it was literally bullshit misunderstanding type thing. Him and I are talking. Um, he, but he's been my friend since kindergarten, you know. He introduced me mm -hmm. to my ex-wife. Mm -hmm. The other guy, um, no, I guess I finally see, like... I, I guess drama manipulation is his entertainment. And what I mean, what's funny is with your other friends approach you and sit there and bring it up to you that, look, we're not trues and sides, but look, man, what they're doing to you is bullshit. And I'm like, well, that's cool. You know, I'm glad you, you think that, but, you know, don't, I appreciate it. And that's all yeah. I can say. You know, you at least, I thank God you see it. They're like, dude, we've been seeing it for years. I'm like, but yet you never said anything to them. You never got right. it. Like you never, they're like, yeah, right. well, we've, we've made it known now. And they're like, now when we all go out on wing night, they fight with each other because they don't have you to bully and pick on anymore. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. I said, I took away their entertainment. Be, and also because they have to still live in chaos. So they have to find some other way to bring that chaos in. Oh, absolutely. And with if, the it's, if it's not going to be directed at you, it's going to be directed at somebody and nothing's. And yeah. So just going back to the whole thing of you decided to change, to stand up and say, I'm not taking this anymore. You decided to change the game, so to speak. That's the only way things are going to change in life, right? Somebody has to decide yeah. so, a decision. Someone's got to give. Nothing's going to change if nothing changes. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings is, uh, well, I get two of them. One is everything you ever want is on the other side of fear. Yes. And the other one is uh, something like you don't change until the, until the, how's it, the pain of change outweighs, or the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change. Ooh, I and I was it. like, that's true. Because you truly, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't hate, I don't hate anybody in this world. Any, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like when my ex-wife died, um, I was seeing somebody and I had such a guilt about being happy 
and knowing she, it, it truly ripped me apart and, you know, and, and obviously she got tired of waiting, which I can't blame her. Um, and it, but it, but it changed my life that whole, I, that year that my ex-wife died three years ago, I buried eight people in 10 months and I wow. was a basket case. And that's when I finally like broke out of it, you know, and I started doing the meditation and I started like uh, changing the way I eat and I went back to exercise. I'm like, I used to, I mean, I used to run a gym. I mean, Christ, I mean, how do you get away from that? And I started going back to things that made me happy or made me forget about the bad things. And then obviously at the summit when uh, Sean Crane spoke, I, I've never, I've heard it a million times, but since then we truly live in our office by saying I get to versus have to. And it's made yeah, a huge yeah. difference in the way I stopped talking to myself negatively like I used to before. And all these things like I just, and I guess I got to the point where look, if, if being around me, you feel jealous or whatever, that that's not on me. And I always used to feel bad about it. But and it's funny that we have a younger girl that works with us and until she sprays it to me one day, I never thought about it. And it's easy to be there for somebody when they're down and out because then you can be on their level. But when things are going good for them and everything's on the up and up, if you're not happy for them, then there, you have the problem. I'll never forget the, la the last face-to-face -face conversation I had with this friend. We just closed, or we just made the, the decision to buy a business um, and the, the owner offered me uh, to be partner in it. So I have a small, you know, ownership in it. And we're sitting there and he just like did something really horrible to me that I, I was just like, whatever, you know. And we we're sitting there and he's like ignoring me and they're going on. And then finally they start talking. And then he, I said, well, by the way, guys, hey, so I'm, I guess I'm going to move forward. We're going to buy this place. So uh, I said, so welcome for me being broke again. <laughs> and he just turned, looked at me, turned his head, took a drink and said, oh, and was it happy for me that things are going good? He likes it when I'm down and out. Right, because it makes him feel better. And this is, right, so this is a really important point for people who are listening, which is that if you can't be around friends who are happy for you when things are going well, then those are probably not true friends. Right, and that was so hard for me to get through my head. Now. The one guy that I've been friends with in kindergarten, he has saved my life. He has been there for me when everything was bad. And he's also there for me anytime, anything that's positive happened to me. He's one of the first people to tell me that he's, he's, he's happy for me. And that's, that's why it was awesome. easy for me to reconnect when we have an argument versus the other guy. And the other guy, don't get me wrong, and I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but he was absolutely going through hell absolutely going yeah. through hell in a bad situation. I mean, him and his girlfriend moved in together, happy, and as soon as she moved in, she didn't want to be with him anymore and then wouldn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, not, that's not on you, though. No. That's, his, that's his shit to deal with. It, it is. And you, and no reason for him to be taking it out on you because that's not what, again, that's not what friends do. And so recognizing true friendship versus somebody that you're just used to hanging out with because you're, because it's habit. Yeah, and you're in the same or because it's situation. Easy. Or, right, because it's easy. It's just he happens to be there, so I'll hang with him. 
Yeah. Yeah, and and, yeah. and I and I noticed for probably two years it's starting to drift because like I don't I don't want to sit home and I mean I love to watch sport, but I'm not going to run home and then sit there and drink a twelve pack and watch a game. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do that. It's a work week. Yeah. I don't want to live that life, and that's every day for them. And I can't be, it's not that I think less of them, I can't be around it because I can't handle that and function on the level I'd want to. Right. That's not what you want for you because you want to be a better version of yourself. And the only way you can do it is to hold yourself to different standards. Right. And, and, and that's absolutely, I mean, that's what I, I mean, I came up with where, do, who am I, where do I want to be and how am I going to get there? And and I changed. And I mean, I've changed the whole mentality. Like, you didn't know me before any of this. So, right. like, if you could have met me a year earlier, you'd be like, this is a completely different human being from yeah. his mindset and how he carries himself. Yeah, interesting. So, okay, so just to recap, you did, you went to counseling, you did meditation, you, um, how, what inspired you to, to do that, that reevaluation? Of who am I? Where do I want to be? Was it something you read? What was? I, I'm sure. I'm sure it had to do with a lot of things. I was reading posts like, like Facebook is a very negative space, right? People put a lot of yeah. negative types of posts there, and I look back and I, I'm like, I'm putting these down there too. Like Jesus, mm. man, you look like you freaking you're, you're super depressed. I'm like, well, you are. And I guess part of me was I, I. The day when my when my daughter came back in my life, I went six years waiting for that day that I get that text, that call, and then I got it, and then her mom died, and within the first thirty days, I'm like, okay, so my name is not Brian anymore; it's Dad. You need to start calling me Dad. I'm, you know, and we had to go through. I had to take every bit of hate, abuse of things she's ever wanted to say to me. I had to take that and learn to take it so that I could move forward because the fear of losing my daughter in my life again outweighed the pain of change. Yeah, yeah. And good for you for recognizing that you had to, that was part of her um, way of getting it all out directed at you, but not really about you and being able to take it because you knew that that's what she needed to be able to move on to so that both of you could now kind of start fresh. Yeah. And, and then, the, and then I had this realization like this whole time, like my son, so going into COVID, you know, his senior year in high school and I'm sitting there going, all right, so he had to put up with me owning a bar and being gone at night every night for almost a year. And then I get him back and we like we repair our relationship. I was a real shitty dad to him. I may not have been like abusive or anything like that, but I mean, emotionally was I there for him. And then I'm sitting there going, so to me during COVID, when we all get set home, that was a blessing. I got to spend and reconnect with my son. And I mean, and he stood by me through the whole divorce. I mean, you know, and I wasn't a great dad to him. I, I favored my daughter when we were when they were little. I mean, because she was like me, and he's total opposite. And mm-hmm. and he had to listen to six freaking years of his dad whining, bitching, and crying that he couldn't talk to his daughter, and he is sitting right there by me. Wow. And I just sat wow. there one day and said, "What an asshole I must be." 
to, to neglect your own son like that. And we have a good relationship, but I had to have made him feel inferior. Had to have. And now you know better and now you can do better. Like we all are in these places where you look back and go, man, that was a poor decision or I really messed up there. And, and you know, one of my, uh, I don't know what to call him. Uh, he's this guy that I follow sometimes is called Pete. His name is Peter Crone. He's known as the mind architect. And he has this saying that what happened happened and it couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. I also had a conversation recently with someone else who said, yeah, the, um, you, you can't, you can beat yourself up. You can think about it for every minute of your current life now, but you cannot change the past. How, no matter how much you think about it, you can't change it. So all we can do is go forward from this minute now, taking this new knowledge and being better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I went through the whole, you know, why did you put up this front that you had this happy marriage and all this stuff when your kids are the ones suffering because they're seeing what's going on behind closed door and and then i went through the whole thing with what if i hung on a little bit longer would she still be alive what if i was a real asshole during the divorce and i actually forced her to get out of the house like she was ordered to versus selling her the house then it would have forced her to stop living the way she did, would she be alive? So I blame my ex-wife's death on a lot of things that I did wrong. And like I said, I, I was guilty of being a good provider. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's right. what I There's was. I, I was a provider, but I wasn't yeah. a loving husband. And that's and I when my ex-wife and I finally sat down and kind of talked for the first time civilly, five years after the divorce. And I asked her why she made up all these things, and her answer was, I was angry with you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, angry doesn't get me back. You know, like, I wasn't allowed to coach sports or be around kids for, like, two fucking years because of things she said and doing. I was labeled as something that I wasn't. And what if if I did, for some reason, get sent to jail and and killed, you know, or whatever? Right, right, right. Well, and all of these things are what if, what if. And no, you can't go back and change. No, and you can't change any of that. I mean, I'm thankful so. for every lesson I've learned. And that's, so like, I don't, and I don't even remember who convinced me but like of uh, gratitude every day. If, not like just being. It, it would have been me, but I didn't, I think you picked <laughs> this up before we met. I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> it's funny is sometimes you just change the, the words, right? <laughs> what, right. But what you, because now you know what it's called. But I don't know. My uncle, my uncle Danny was like my uncle, like my brother. And he was one of the people that died on me. And three weeks before his death, out of the blue, he had this conversation with me like he knew he was dying it was like the last things he wanted to make sure he said to me uh-huh. and he apparently had many conversations like that with people just before he died and it was a tragic death that was a his truck fell on him when he was working uh, oh my gosh i mean wow. it was horrible. it's interesting how people know like they know at an at a, like a soul level even if they don't really know yeah and that's a whole other like oh we my do god a whole yeah. other show on that. <laughs> so Thank you for being here, Brian. But before we go, you know, I got to ask you, what, what's your hype song? 
What? Wait, you called it something else. What did you call it? It's called, I think the name of the song is called Remember the Name. Yes. Well, remember the name, but what was, you had another term that you might've used before we got on and started recording. It wasn't hype song. It was something else. Oh my God. Like, like your walk-up song, my, your hype song. Probably my, go, my sales go-to song. Probably something along that. Right. Yeah, because it was like, every time I was going on a sales call, the song freaking pop on. And it wasn't ever, I'm like, this isn't me. Then I'm like, so the next thing you know, like, I'm looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> I look right. for it to get so me hyped up. that's what you listen to when you need to get pumped up. Yeah. Is that song. All right. Well, we will put a, a link in the show notes. Um, if people want to have more of a conversation with you, because this resonated with them, how, what's the best place for them to reach you? Um, yeah. So I just launched a podcast called Tattooed in Business. So I have a tattooed in business at gmail.com. Or you can always reach me on my, uh, I'm on Facebook under my name, Brian Merrill, or Tattooed in Business. They can message me through there. Or, of course, uh, Brian at GY6Promotions.com. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'll put, put it all in the uh, show notes so it'll make it really easy. Thanks so much for being here, Brian. Oh, thank you. I, I hope I didn't disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. All right. Take care and we'll see you next time on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. It would be easy for someone to go through all that hardship in life and give up. But admirably, that's not what Brian's done. He rose to the occasion and is working on becoming a better person. Here are the key takeaways from this conversation. Number one, it's easy to lose who you are in a relationship specifically a relationship that isn't working. You become one-dimensional, almost as a way to survive. Number two, even in abusive situations, people often don't want to leave because, as Brian said, he saw that as failing in marriage, failing as a parent. No one wants to be a failure. Realize that leaving a situation that's not working is not failure. It's a way to honor yourself and your truth. Number three, this came up in Jenny Vaz's episode too. When you're used to living in chaos and drama and you get to a place of calm, you tend to not know what to do with that. So you look for more drama because that's what feels familiar. Recognize you're doing that so you can deal with it because it's not until you decide to change that anything is going to change. Number four, Brian shared two of his favorite sayings. The first is, everything you ever want is on the other side of fear. And the other is, you don't change until the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change. Number five, he also mentioned something Sean Crane said from the stage of the Badass Business Summit where I was a speaker and Brian was a sponsor or an exhibitor. Sean suggested instead of saying, I have to, saying, I get to. You may have heard that before. It's a great way to rephrase and reframe. Number six, true friends are happy for you when things are going well. They're not looking for opportunities to tear you down so they can make themselves feel better. It's difficult to look at some of your friendships and be honest with yourself that they're not true friends. 
that you spend time with these people out of convenience. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend or a colleague. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other people like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. You can join me on social too. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. Lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. And if no one's told you this week, I'm proud of you. Take good care 